0: I match of family medicine.
1: What does it take to get into the residency of your dreams when it seems like all the odds are stacked against you? Welcome to the Road to Residency podcast with your host, John Arshadi. This is the show where we break down inspiring personal journeys of passionate physicians who have the courage and the commitment to take purposeful action to achieve their goals and serve their communities. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Road to Residency podcast. My name is John Arshadi, and today I'm talking to a dear friend and colleague of mine, Dr. Kenya bingham Psalms. I met Dr. Soms about three years ago when I was teaching Step 2 courses at the Institute of Medical Boards. Dr. Psalms has always been such an inspiration to me as I witnessed her persevere through many challenges, including studying for the USMLEs while raising a family and holding down multiple jobs. She's come a long way since then. She's a U.S. IMG. She's had multiple attempts on her exams. She's gone through many obstacles to get to where she is today. But despite these obstacles, I'm proud to announce that she matched this year into her specialty of choice. And she's excited to share her story and share some tips about how you can do it too. Without any further ado, here's Dr. Soms. Hello, Dr. Soms. Welcome to the show.
0: Hi, John. Thanks. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: It's great to have you. How are you doing today?
0: I'm doing well. Thank you. I'm excited to be here and excited to speak with all of your listeners.
1: Excellent. We're excited to have you. What specialty did you match into?
0: I matched into family medicine.
1: And is that the specialty you've always wanted to go into?
0: Yes, it is. I mentioned to family medicine, and that was the specialty of my dream. I actually applied for family and internal, but I was always definitely family medicine um, was my preference. And the reason for that was the type of medical training that I received. It was more of primary care, preventative care. And I also have a passion for emergency medicine and OBGYN, so family was definitely the best fit for me. Excellent. That's amazing. Yes, I'm very fortunate. I'm extremely happy. And on the day that I received the email that I matched, I was overjoyed, ecstatic. I cried. I couldn't believe it. I was pinching myself. For two weeks after I was still on Cloud Nine. It was just so surreal. And so all of the hard work that I had put in over the years and just never stopped believing in myself. Um, it just really paid off. Yeah.
1: I bet, because I remember we've been talking a lot about this, you know, ever since three years ago, we were waiting for this moment and
0: it finally happened. It finally happened. And you've been so encouraging and uh, you've just been like, a, like you said, a mentor in the beginning. And so I'm forever grateful for that as well.
1: Thanks. Thanks. You know, I'm just happy to be a part of your journey and every, all of my students, I'm happy to be a part of their journey and help them get into the residency that they see and just be there for them. No, I never get tired of seeing my former students, present students, when they say they've matched, you know, just seeing that reaction on their face. It's such a beautiful thing. You can never get tired of it.
0: You're right. It never gets old. And I love to hear and see the pictures of people and how they found out what were the, where were they when they matched. What was their first reaction? It's just so surreal.
1: Absolutely. So I really want to hear this story. Fill me in.
0: Okay, so you know a little bit about it. As John stated, my name is Dr. Kenya bingham Psalms and I am a USIMG. I graduated as an undergrad from UC Berkeley in California, and I was pre-med there, and my major was Spanish Language and Literature, so I received a Bachelor of Arts in that degree. Then I went on to study medicine at the Latin American School of Medicine in Havana, Cuba, I graduated in 2007, and that was a wonderful experience, for which I'm forever grateful. Excellent. And what made you decide to go to Cuba? Well, um, the decision was quite easy, actually, for me, because I always wanted to study medicine, and Cuba has a highly respected medical system and makes well-trained, quality doctors. I also received a scholarship, and I can actually say, Gracias a Cuba, soy doctora, which translates to, thanks to Cuba, I'm a doctor.
1: That's amazing. Tell me, how was it when you got back and you had to take the U.S. Sommelies? Was it like a totally different world? How did you feel?
0: It was absolutely a whole new world. Even though I grew up in the U.S., after living for six consecutive years outside of the U.S. in Cuba, it was quite an experience to come back and adapt. And then studying for the board exams was also another challenge in itself. And the reason for that mainly was because my medical schooling was all in Spanish. And then also, too, because the medical school in Cuba focused on their board exams and not necessarily the USMLEs. So I had to learn when I came back how to study for USMLE exams and also learn the lingo for those exams and be successful at passing them.
1: Yeah, I totally get it. Uh, It was the same in India. And in India, we didn't have multiple choice exams. We actually had, it was all written, right? And so we had short answers and long answers. And sometimes you had to write three pages about a certain question that they gave you. Totally different than what we have here.
0: Exactly. It was quite similar for myself as well. And so tell us a little bit about,
1: you know, since the time you graduated in 2007, how long did it take you to get through your exams and get your ECFMG certification? What was that process like?
0: Excellent question. So once I graduated from the Latin American School of Medicine in Havana, Cuba, I came home to um, take the USMLEs. So I hadn't taken any of those prior to my graduation. They were not required for um, graduation in Cuba. They had their own set of examinations there, as you can imagine. So I focused on that, as well as I began a family. I got married, and now I'm the mom of three kids. So I'm quite busy, as you can imagine. That's amazing. Thank you. But as you, as everyone knows, uh, once you're a graduate already, you can take the USMLE pretty much in any order of your choosing. So I passed my first USMLE exam in 2013. And that was the CS exam that I sat for first. And then after I studied for step one, and then I studied for CK, which is where you and I met. Did you take step three? I haven't yet. I'm currently studying for it, and I actually have an exam date, but I haven't taken it yet. And I just want to encourage all of our listeners that I recommend taking it, and it was recommended to me, which is why I was trying so hard to get it done prior to entering residency However, I just want to show as proof that if a residency program believes in you and sees something that they really like in you, then you can still match without it. It's definitely recommended to get it done sooner for various reasons, but just because you don't have it, I wouldn't cut yourself out or I wouldn't not apply to a program or just think negatively of the situation because you don't have it.
1: So I know that we have a lot of listeners here who have had multiple attempts on their exams, and they're getting pretty disheartened. Do you have any advice for them of uh, you know, what they could do in that situation?
0: Absolutely. So speaking from personal experience, I can completely understand how an applicant would be disheartened about attempts in a USMLE exam. But I just want to encourage our listeners that it's not the end of the world, that even with attempts, you can still match into the residency program of your dream. I would say that with each attempt or with an attempt, an applicant should really focus on why that attempt happened, what they can do to analyze what it was that they need to overcome and be successful the second time around. For me, it was many factors. As you stated, I'm a mom of three kids. I was also working at the time. I was just dealing with a lot and those are just a couple of the things. So I also had to change my study approach. I know now that I am the type of person that benefits best from study groups and courses and also study partners and also just taking myself into a different environment, removing myself from my normal routine and isolating myself to completely focus on studies. And so that may be some factors that um, one has to analyze to just make yourself a better test taker and um, really be successful at passing the board. But I just want to encourage everyone that it's very attainable and to just keep focused and never give up.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I know that resonates with a lot of people who they are working jobs or they're in clerkships and they don't have time to study. How do you suggest that people kind of scrape out, you know, at least a couple hours out of their day to devote to the U.S. assemblies because it is such an important exam?
0: Correct. So I think it's going to take a lot of self-commitment And you're going to really have to push yourself to the limit. And this is exactly what I did and what I recommend people to do. Push yourself even harder than what you think you could ever do.
1: Absolutely. I have a lot of moms who are having trouble balancing raising their family and studying for the U.S. Amelies at the same time. How did you overcome that hurdle?
0: Excellent question, John. Yes, I would like to speak out to all of our listeners who are moms and also those who um, are married and have spouses. First, I want to say that it's extremely difficult to balance everything. It's not easy. I relied on the saying that it takes the village. I really did rely on that. So I have a supportive family, thankfully. I also relied on neighbors, family, friends, daycare providers. It's not easy, though. As a mom studying, I was separated from my kids a lot, and you just have to know that the sacrifice is going to be very great, but in the end, it's going to pay off. Also, too, with and those who are in relationships, even those can take a toll. So, for example, what I did was my kids were at daycare a lot. They also went to family members' household or when they, whenever they had a vacation time from school. But I just want to speak with those that may say, well, I don't have any family. How can I do that? So, again, when my family wasn't available, then I relied on daycare providers, neighbors, even family, friends, those that I met along the way and kind of trusted. And also, too, it's helpful to have friends or acquaintances that have similarities. So I met several people at local libraries that also have kids. And then we would kind of trade off like, hey, you can drop your kids over to mine while you take a MBME diagnostic exam for a couple of hours, things like that.
1: That's great. And I wouldn't have even thought about that, you know, kind of trading off with other parents every now and then. That's a, that's a good idea.
0: Oh, yes, absolutely. It really, really helps. So it's not easy. I just want to say, and I know that, and I just want to encourage uh, those that are moms, dads even, or have significant others.
1: Absolutely. So what happened after you finally got that ECFMG certification? You passed all your boards, you got the certificate. What was
0: next? So after I received my ECFMG certificate, I applied to residency and I didn't match the first or the second year that I applied. But while I was applying, I attended conferences, and I really recommend attending conferences for our listeners. So depending on which specialty you're interested in, I really recommend going to conferences um, in different states. It's a great source of networking and also just a great way to find out more about the program and to make a contact there so that you can follow up with these individuals. And from the conferences that I attended, I received two interviews. Uh, two consecutive years from attending conferences.
1: Yeah, that's an, that's an excellent point. And so what do you recommend uh, students do when they do go to these networking conferences? How do they approach the people they need to speak to? What do they say?
0: I always had my CV on hand. I didn't always pass it out, but you never know who's going to ask you for one. I also went with business cards. So it was like my presentation card. It had my name, my email, my my year of graduation, my medical school. So I recommend that. And what to expect is expect to just network, be yourself, be friendly, have lots of questions and expect to go. And when you leave there to keep in contact with those that you met, and that's what I did, it took maybe about two to three emails after I left the program and just kind of following up for me to continue expressing interest and for the program director or for the resident, whoever I had met at the conference to follow up with me and then extend an interview offer. Great. The third time around that I interviewed for residency, I had more experience, and I had a position as a house physician in gastroenterology, so that really made my CV look more appealing to programs, and it also sharpened my clinical skills, and I was able to talk about that in interviews, but I do want to say, even after graduation, and I graduated from the Latin American School of Medicine in 2007. Even after graduating, every job that I had, I made sure that it was in the clinical or medical field. So I started off and I did medical assisting. And then after that, I did allergy technician. I also did scribing for two and a half years. And I think scribing is a great way to go. Actually, I received a strong letter of recommendation. I scribed at an internal medicine uh, outpatient clinic. And so our listeners should consider that as well.
1: That's excellent. That's a lot of great experience. How would you recommend somebody, you know, if they, they want to get into, you know, some kind of observership or scribing or, or a medical assistant, how would you guide them into getting those experiences?
0: So I obtained my um, observerships or externships and even the volunteer positions that I did from people that I met at conferences, coworkers, and even just doing online research.
1: Excellent. And, you know, some people, they want to get another degree like MPH or PhD, thinking it might help their chances to match. What do you recommend? Do you think it's better to you know get a, another advanced degree or should they spend more time trying to get clinical experience?
0: I think that it's absolutely wonderful to get another advanced degree like an MPH. It's something that I'm interested in doing, but I don't think that it's absolutely necessary. And I think that if you approach it and that it's something that you have to have, you may end up putting yourself in unnecessary debt or taking another two years to accomplish something which you don't really absolutely need. So if it's something that you've always wanted to do, go for it. But I don't think that it's absolutely necessary.
1: So the first couple times that you applied for a match, how were the interviews and how did that compare to the third time? What do you think you did differently?
0: So I think it's really important on the interview to be yourself. And I definitely did that, which interview that I had, because for me, it's easier to be myself and let it come natural. I I feel more at ease. I do want to say and just remind our, our listeners that once you're invited to an interview, the program has already, they already know about your board scores and what year you graduated and they've already read your personal statement. They're actually just trying to see if you are going to be a good fit for them. They're trying to just analyze your interpersonal skills and see what you're like just in person. So you should really be yourself. Interviews, as we all know, they're really long. And so it's kind of hard to hold onto to a facade for eight, nine hours. You should just really be yourself. And you should also be interviewing them at the same time. They don't really have to necessarily know that that's what you're doing. But just really just analyzing if you think you'll be a good fit for that program.
1: For sure. And what are some uh, tips you can provide or what are some exercises that that candidates could do to really ace that interview? Because we all know how important that interview is.
0: So I think that applicants, in order to have a really good interview, should first research the program. They should know everything about the program and typically the people that they're going to meet on interview day kind of do your internet research and read the brochures that you may come across and just kind of become as well-versed as you can because it really helps in your interview. It'll put you a lot more at ease. It'll show that you have genuine interest in the program and you'll just feel more prepared. Another thing that you can do is always practice interview questions. I know it's something that I did. I practiced with a study partner. I practiced as well by myself with a family member just to kind of go through the most commonly asked questions. And you never know when a program is going to ask an academic question. So always brush up on the academic questions as well. You just don't want to be caught off guard. But most importantly, you should be yourself. You should let your true personality shine. Whatever your star qualities are, you should make sure they know that. For me, I'm a very talkative person. I'm an outgoing person. I'm warm. I'm pretty genuine. And so I try to make that shine through. I know nerves can be at an all-time high on interview day. But it's, it's really easy when you're just being yourself.
1: That's beautiful. So what was the hardest interview question you got?
0: Hmm. So the hardest interview question that I had was actually in a group setting. And they this particular program asked me and the other applicants on that day to build a train station with some wooden blocks. And we were we had to do it in a time setting. I think they gave us maybe a minute to do so. And it wasn't the reason why it was a difficult question per se was that it was more of unexpected. It was a little weird. So, But I think that they were just trying to analyze our interpersonal skills and how well we worked with others, worked in a group. But I did have one-on-one interviews. And I think, again, just the academic questions, just make sure that you just read the most commonly um, asked stuff so that you're prepared.
1: Right. Yeah, it makes total sense. What about the application? Is there anything that, you know, candidates could do to really brighten up their LORs? You know, how, how should they tell people to write their LORs so that they'd really stand out?
0: I think that your LORs should first come from someone who you believe can write you a really strong one, and it's someone that you have known for at least a few months because you want to really make sure that they're writing you a strong letter. And I think it's okay to ask them. I think it's okay to say do you think that you'll be able to write me a strong letter and you can kind of gauge maybe from their reaction? And some people are really honest and they'll say, and I've had this happen to me as well. Like I haven't known you for that long, or maybe so-and-so would be a better person because they were your preceptor or they worked with you a little closer than what I did. So you have to really appreciate that honesty because at the end of the day, you really want a letter that's going to make you shine and then pick your letters not always about the quantity of the letters that you have. It's about the quality. So you just really want to make sure that your letters are strong letters. And so maybe instead of you submitting four letters of recommendation to a particular program, you may only submit three of your strongest ones.
1: Excellent. That's some good advice. And what about the personal statement? Did you find yourself revising your personal statement over and over again? Or was it just you, read a, you wrote it once and you were
0: done? No, my personal statement was actually a work in progress and you want to be really happy with it. And so what I recommend is telling your story, what you really want your program to know. So for me, it started off with, um, I talked a little bit about my upbringing and then I moved into my undergraduate years and then how I chose to attend Cuba, Cuban medical school and what that was about. And then for me, I knew it was important for my year of graduation to really highlight my clinical skills now and what I was doing. And so I spoke about what I was doing as a house physician at this current time and highlighted that and how it it was very in line with what I wanted to do in a program.
1: Right. And a question that I get very often from my students is, Are scores and multiple attempts and maybe, you know, older year of grad, is that something that you want to address in your personal statement? Or do you want to, you know, just keep it positive, focus on your strengths, focus on the things that you can bring to the program?
0: Great question. So here's the thing. Programs, there's no way to hide your attempts. And I don't think that anyone should. I think that you should instead, you should put it in the most positive light that you can. And rather than hide it or shy away from it, It's not something that anyone can erase. And so it's just the way about how you approach it and how you learn from it and then move on from there. So I definitely think that you should talk about it. You probably may not want to bring it up first, but even if you do, I think so for me, for example, personally speaking, I did touch on it in my personal statement. And when I got to the interview then it's not something that I actually had to address because it was already in my personal statement. And it wasn't something that I just dwelled on in my personal statement, but I did acknowledge it and I acknowledged how I learned from it. And then I moved on. And so actually I was ready for the question. I anticipated it. And it was a question that, you know, I didn't necessarily um, enjoy answering, but I always anticipated. So it made me a little easier to tackle it when questions did, when programs, I'm sorry, did ask about my attempt.
1: Excellent. So I have a question, a common question amongst applicants are, you know, what are the IMG-friendly hospitals? And is IMG-friendly really a thing or is it just a
0: myth? Well, I think that the IMG-friendly isn't a myth. I think that it does have some truth to it. But I would also like to encourage our listeners that just because a program doesn't say that it's IMG-friendly Doesn't necessarily mean that you should, if it's really the program that you like, to pursue it. Because I find that there are some programs that make exceptions and you just never know when they're going to do that. So you should, if it's a program that you really like for very strong reasons, I think that you should still pursue it regardless of if it's IMG friendly or not. But I also think that you kind of have to have some kind of Segue into it. And what I mean by that is if you know someone there or if you've connected with someone there, then I say go for it, even though it's not IMG friendly. But if you're just kind of throwing your money out there and just checking the box and just submitting your application, then maybe I would say no if you're doing it like that.
1: Good. That's really helpful. So before we wrap the show up, is there anything else that you wanted to say? Any golden nuggets or advice for our listeners?
0: Sure. I just want our listeners to know that they should never stop believing in themselves, that they should focus on their ultimate goal, which is obtaining a residency, and that it's very doable. It may come with some challenges, but the end goal is very attainable. And I believe in each and every one of you.
1: That's beautiful. That's excellent advice. So just really quick, before you go, how can our listeners get in touch with you if they have any further questions?
0: Absolutely. So my email address is kbingmd at gmail.com. And they can also reach out to you, John, and then you know how to contact me. I'll be happy to speak with anyone, advise anyone in any way I can.
1: Thank you so much, Dr. Psalms for being on the show with us today. It was a pleasure having you.
0: Thanks so much for having me, John.
1: You're very welcome. Hopefully we'll see you on the podcast again soon.
0: I would love to come
1: back. Absolutely. We'd love to have you back. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate and review the podcast, share it with your friends. Get this message out there because this is a time where a lot of people are skeptical and they're saying, I'm an older grad, I'm an IMG. It's getting more difficult for us. What do I do? Well, we want to show you that there is hope. Actually, right now is the best time to match as an IMG. You know, our mass rates have gone up from about 48% in 2010 when I graduated, to 61% this year. And that's a significant jump. So you can do it. You will do it. Just don't give up. And I hope to see you in the next episode.